Amy Gravino is in the 10th grade. It's the late 90s, and that week, 16-year-old Amy had turned in a writing assignment to her English teacher. The writing assignment could be about anything, so she turned in a story she wrote not long ago that her friend Diane begged her to write. Back then, Amy's closest friends were always asking her to write fan fiction. She had a talent. All of her friends knew it. Her English teacher, though... My teacher was not happy. Uh, not, not happy at all. You see, Amy's fanfiction was actually erotic fanfiction. Really steamy, borderline ridiculous fanfiction. It was a threesome story with my one friend and a Backstreet Boy and a member of NSYNC. And I used probably what is the least sexiest word in the history of the English language, which is moist. I used the word moistness to describe a vulva, which is absolutely game over. But it wasn't game over for her friend, Kevin Richardson of the Backstreet Boys, and Joey Fatone of NSYNC. For them, the game was only starting. Well, at least in Amy's story. The next thing Diana knew, all three of them were without a stitch of clothing on. Di broke her kiss with Joey as she and Kevin started French kissing. She ran her hands down his firm back, letting her nails gently scrape his baby's soft skin. Joey moved his hands to her buttocks, caressing each cheek gently, pinching a bit, just to get a rise out of her. Di gasped quietly at each pinch, turning Kevin on more and more. The three descended onto the bed, so they could make their actions more predictable and well-planned, if not entirely spontaneous. Amy's paper didn't get a grade. Instead, it, it got her suspended. I think I just felt confused because I, 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 because I had misread the social situation yet again. This is How I Fuck, a podcast about how we have sex, sponsored by Fembot Magazine and produced by Kodiak Productions. I'm your host, Natalie Rivera. If you're like me, you spent hours and hours watching Netflix during the pandemic. One of the many docuseries I watched during lockdowns was Love on the Spectrum, which follows a group of people on the autism spectrum, as most of them try to date for the first time. It's a great series, and while it did answer a lot of questions I actually never really knew I needed the answers to, it did leave me with a lot of questions as well. I think you know what one of those questions were. What about sex? Well, that's why we reached out to Amy Gravino, former teen erotic fanfiction writer you met earlier, and current certified autism specialist and autism sexuality advocate. I never had that kind of sense of shame around sexuality that I think, I think a lot of people on the spectrum don't naturally feel shameful about things until we're told to feel ashamed. Amy was diagnosed with Asperger's syndrome when she was 11. The same year, Asperger's syndrome was added to the American Psychiatric Association's Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders as a separate diagnosis. It wasn't until 2013 that Asperger's officially became part of the autism spectrum. Even though Amy is autistic, she did spend most of her life using the term Asperger's, so you might still hear it in this episode from time to time. If you could describe autism, how would you describe it? What, what is it? Well, there's a lot of different definitions for autism, depending on who you ask. You can get the more clinical definitions, where it's referred to as a developmental disorder, uh, with, with these types of symptoms and things. And in many ways, it is. Autism is a disability. It's a developmental disability that affects a person's ability to relate socially in the world and to deal with uh, sensory input. Um, but in, in other ways, it's also just the lens through which people view the world. It, it's not only something that we have, but it's part of who we are. Can you walk me through how you see things? I think I just, I, I have a hard time seeing when people have negative intentions. I, I take things at face value a lot of the time because I speak very forthrightly. I say what I mean. I mean what I say. 
and I'm, I'm straightforward and it, it always gets me when, when people are not, or, or actually even more so when, when someone is nice to me and then starts to display behavior that shows that really they're not such a nice person. It's the hardest thing in the world for me to reconcile that somebody is just not a good person when they've been so good to me. Growing up in Port Jefferson, New York, Amy was introverted as a child, yet her brain always seemed to be moving. She had so many thoughts and questions, she just wanted to share them with the world. Instead, she kept them to herself. I felt everything very deeply, but I tried not to show a lot on the outside. Um, although I, I, I call myself a failed masker because uh, I was never able to really camouflage and, and be anything other than myself. I, I think I tried. I would copy my peers. I would copy the things that they did. But it was always wrong when I did it, even if I did exactly what they did. And they knew it. And they never hesitated to point it out to me. Amy was regularly bullied as a child. The bullying started when she was in the second grade. By the fourth grade, Amy was already thinking about suicide. It was like everyone else noticed something different about her that she didn't know about herself yet. I had a consciousness from very early on that the way I was was not acceptable, that I was weird, I was a freak, psycho, loser, retard. Those were all names that they called me because they didn't know me and they didn't want to know me. Amy's an only child, so of course her parents worried for her. Seeing their preteen daughter struggle with communication and social settings pushed them to visit different doctors and specialists. At first, my parents thought that something was wrong with my hearing because I wasn't listening to them when they were telling me to do things. And my hearing was absolutely 100% fine. Um, and we ended up at uh, Stony Brook University on Long Island in the child psychology uh, department, which is where I was diagnosed, ultimately. It wasn't long after her diagnosis that Amy started noticing books on autism around the house. She had always known something was different about her, and now there was a diagnosis. The, the social expectations that came around at that same age kind of shifted my perspective from from being why don't other people see things the way that I do what's wrong with them to why don't I see things the way that everybody else does what's wrong with me so that that was happening right around that same time the beginnings of puberty and, and this you know middle school starting all the expectations coming into place her parents enrolled her in some social skills programs but it didn't really do much for her while there are programs that can help autistic people manage their symptoms there isn't a universal treatment for autism there also wasn't that many studies done on autism and its effects on girls back then either. Amy didn't really have resources growing up, and on top of that, there was still the bullying. She started taking Prozac at 12, struggling with the teasing and name-calling well into high school. But regardless of all this, Amy was still living a regular teenage girl's life. She had crushes. She wanted a boyfriend. She really wanted a boyfriend. I was absolutely desperate to, to have a boyfriend. I more than anything, I, I wanted, you know, attention. I wanted, I mean, attention sounds, but I wanted validation. I wanted affection. I wanted to know that I was okay, that I could be loved, that I was, that I was lovable. That was, you know, for so long, I carried with me the belief that I was too difficult to love, which I think many autistic individuals often feel because of, you know, the messages that come from society. Amy didn't really have the talk growing up. Her understanding of how the body works was pretty limited, so much so that she actually didn't really understand what was happening to her the first time she got her period. She went through about five pairs of underwear before her mother noticed that she was bleeding. I just had such a disconnection from my body. I didn't, because my self-esteem was so low, because I just hated who I was, whatever my peers said my body was, was what I, I thought it was. You know, roses are red, violets are black, why is your chest as flat as your back? kind of thing. I, I, you know. Yeah, Amy's classmates were cruel. 
when I had a crush on a guy and I thought that I was being subtle about it and I so wasn't because I was wearing my heart right on my sleeve and you know one of my classmates saying oh you're not allowed to like him you know this idea of, of being allowed of needing permission you know to somehow have a crush on somebody it, it was just when, when people see you as less when they see you as different and as other it, it places you in a different category you know that that those the, 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 the typical experiences that everyone else has are somehow closed off to you you know because like you're not normal like so how could you dare to want something that is normal this didn't stop amy from still having crushes from still having friends from writing erotic boy band fiction late at night even though amy's erotic fiction was coming from a person with no sexual experience at that time amy was still determined to explore human sexuality even if it was through fictional characters and not herself i didn't masturbate for the first time until the summer before senior year of college um so 12, 13, starting to feel feelings of arousal that didn't start touching myself till 21. This is a big, 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 big discrepancy there. Um, and that, that was for a lot of reasons that, that, that was, that existed for a lot of reasons. Um, not the least of which was just not being in, in touch with my body, literally and figuratively, not being aware of my body. Amy started dating her first boyfriend at 19. While the relationship didn't last long, it was still a pretty transformative experience for Amy, who was finally exploring her body and someone else's for the very first time. Um, I was so happy to have this boyfriend and to, you know, be able to, to do this, to, to suddenly see myself as a sexual being, as somebody not only who, who someone wanted to do something sexual with, but as someone who could provide sexual pleasure to someone else, which I had never seen myself as before. I didn't think I was capable of that. And um, I, I don't know if this was exactly the first time, but I remember we were fooling around in his dorm room and I looked down while he was in between my legs. And all of a sudden I realized that I had pubic hair and, and it has a function. There's a lot of it. And it's like the black forest and I should probably trim it and do something about that. But then, of course, he was like a chia pet down there. And I don't get to say anything about that, which is kind of an unfair double standard, you know, because he's so hairy. But uh, I, I mean, I wish I would have said something at the time. Because sensory issues are often a symptom of autism, some autistic people, like Amy, can be hypersensitive to things like smell, sound, taste, and touch. For Amy, who is super sensitive to touch, this meant experiencing sex in a more heightened way. I often say that my back is the biggest erogenous zone on my body. Um, it's just it's just very, very sensitive to like those light touches and then just, you know, like I remember when, when he came and, you know, just like, what is this fluid? And it's, it's, it has a smell and it has a feeling to it. And okay, I, I don't, I don't really want it in my mouth, but I, I'm okay with it on my skin. I, I, I think I like it on my skin. Um, you know, just realizing that, for example, and, and then the cleanup involved and, you know, seeing, but, but, but seeing the end result of what I had done, you know, was such an extraordinary experience. Like knowing that I had caused this to happen was, it was extremely powerful and moving to me, um, to, to know that I was capable of that. And then, but, but then, yeah, you know, just dealing with the also, of course, the sensations of that as well was extraordinary all at once. It was this relationship where Amy also discovered the secret to giving a perfect blowjob. It's not so much about technique, it's about enthusiasm. I, I you know, I, I'm not trying to toot my own horn here, but I've never had any complaints about about my performance. I, I, and I think it's because I, I I find the joy in it, right? Like, why, why give somebody a blowjob if you don't want to? You shouldn't. If you don't want to do it, don't do it. Wise words, Amy. Anyways, moving on. After that relationship, it would be a couple more years before Amy would experience penetrative sex for the first time. There were opportunities, of course, but Amy didn't feel like she was ready yet. That is until she met a certain someone on a certain site with a certain interest. 
I was 22. And I met this guy again in the worst place you can meet somebody, which was online, which was on a message board for fans of Kevin Smith, the movie director. Uh, I was in my senior year of college and he lived in Seattle. I was in Pennsylvania in school. And I wound up going to Seattle in spring break with uh, with a friend who had wanted to go to see some concerts. And so I met this guy while I was there and I started falling for him even more than I had online. Amy ended up moving to Seattle after graduation. She was determined to have sex with this man. She even went on the pill a month before, giving it enough time to kick in, as she would say. I asked him to wear a white button-down shirt because I always dreamed of buttoning a guy's shirt when we were going to make love. And he did. You know, he wore a white button-down shirt. And I had my bottle of wine all set. I had the music burned on the CD. But message board guy was having trouble maintaining his erection. No problem. Amy had a plan in case this would happen. So I said, I have a surprise for you. Close your eyes. And I went into the closet and I pulled out the University of Washington Huskies cheerleader uniform and I put it on. Turns out message board guy had a thing for cheerleaders. Of course, Amy came prepared. And I wound up losing my virginity in the University of Washington Huskies cheerleader uniform, which was an unusual way to, to, to do that. She clearly did her homework. Now she wanted feedback. And so I thought, I need to know if I've done a good job. So I thought, well, when you stay at a hotel or you eat at a restaurant, they have these, these cards that you can fill out. And so I created a sexual intercourse comment card for, for him to, to fill out. And, um, and it was completely serious, tongue somewhat in cheek. The questions were, you know, what did you enjoy most about the sex session? What did you like to have happen that you like to have happen again? What didn't happen that you like to have happen? Please rate the following on a scale of one to five. My vocal volume during intercourse, my outfit pre-intercourse, my facial expressions. Is there anything I can do in the future to maximize your pleasure and, and make our sessions more enjoyable? Message board guy filled out the card. The feedback was good. It wouldn't be until years later, though, that Amy realized that those questions she wrote weren't the ones she should have been asking. There's a problem with these questions. And it was a problem I didn't see at the time. And I, didn't, I, did, I did not see until much, much later on. And that's that all the questions are around his pleasure and his enjoyment. There's, there's not a word about whether I enjoyed myself. There's... So, so my pleasure was, was secondary, you know, if it existed at all. Um, and so it was just, it was, that was, that was just absent from there. Things didn't work out with message board guy. It turned out he had a girlfriend the entire time and didn't tell Amy about it. These kind of letdowns were extremely hurtful for her. Remember, she's a lot more trusting than most people. But just because she gets hurt from time to time doesn't mean she's going to just give up on dating and sex. Yeah, people treat her like shit sometimes, but she's not going to allow them to think that they ruined her life. No, she's stronger than that. I'm still here. I'm still here. And, and that, I think, speaks to a resilience that a lot of autistic people have. And it, it's so funny to me because somebody said to me not long ago, Oh, someone said to me that autistic people are not very resilient. And I'm like, are they smoking some kind of drugs? Because I don't think that that's true at all. I think, you know, as people on the spectrum, we're more resilient than, than a lot of people because we have to be. Because we have to exist and try to thrive in this world that's not built for people like us. Amy went on to get her master's, which, by the way, is pretty impressive because doctors used to tell her parents that she probably wouldn't be able to go to college. But she did, and now she has two degrees, one of them in Applied Behavior Analysis, or ABA, which is a type of therapy aimed to improve specific behaviors like social skills and communication. It's a bit controversial within the autism community because of the way it's been marketed as a way to make autistic people quote-unquote normal again. 
uh, you know, to me, it's about helping somebody make meaningful changes to their behavior that they choose to make. For my my master's thesis, which uh, we had to design and run a study using the principles of ABA, I chose to teach two adults on the spectrum how to ask somebody out on a date. Um, and in the research literature having to do with ABA and, and teaching skills and autism, there's a lot of stuff with social skills, but there's really nothing with dating skills. It's just something that hasn't been address. It's something that a lot of researchers are, are, you know, really, there's a lot of taboo around it. That's because there are misconceptions that autistic people aren't sexual or that they can't love. Two very hurtful beliefs that couldn't be far from true. And a lot of that comes from that we have this permanent image of people on the spectrum as children, that even when they're adults, that they still have a childlike mentality, um, which is not true and which is, you know, very much unfair. Um, we think of autistic people as being innocent, which you know, e even if somebody is not talking about sex, it doesn't mean that they're not interested in sex. If you had a neurotypical teenager who wasn't talking about sex with their parents, that would be totally 100% normal. But you have an autistic teen who doesn't want to talk about sex and they think, oh, no, they're, they're just not interested. They're, they, they, they don't want to have sex. And um, yeah, it's, it's a misconception popularized by the media, by, uh, for example, Sheldon Cooper on the Big Bang Theory, who is not officially labeled as autistic, but a lot of Folks kind of see him as an avatar of that. And he was, you know, asexual for, for most of the show. Um, and <clears throat> there certainly are plenty of folks who do identify as asexual. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And that is totally fine. But when it becomes the defining stereotype of the whole group, then it's, then it's a real big problem. So Amy decided to do something about it. Using what she learned in her master's program and armed with her many dating and sex stories, Amy started creating presentations around autism and sex. I talk about why it's so important for us to have conversations about autism and sexuality. And I always, I ask people, you know, who do you talk to about sex and dating? Like I, I show several different options, you know, I, your family, um, a therapist, a religious leader, or your friends, or do you not have anybody to talk to about sex and dating? And I always tell people, you know, I gave this presentation to a group of autistic college students and almost all of them raised their hand for the last one that they had no one to talk to about sex and dating or didn't feel comfortable talking about it. And so I always talk about, you know, this is such a huge part of the human experience. Imagine not having anybody to talk to about this stuff. But it's not only people with autism who reach out to Amy. Parents write to me all the time, you know, professionals working with autistic adults. Absolutely. I, I get, you know, queries from, from all kinds of different people. I give strategies, strategies to, to parents and to professionals for how to have a conversation about sexuality with their child or their client. It can be challenging sometimes though, since Amy is also still trying to figure it out. Not to mention she's also putting herself out there, something that anyone, autistic or not, might have difficulty with. I know I overshare and, and I talk about these things in my presentations and all, but you, but it, it makes you very vulnerable if you are, you know, sharing all these intimate details with, with people who you, you don't know and who might, you know, use those things against you. And so I, I, yeah, you know, it's, it's, I, I want to be able to give them good advice and I, and I worry about saying the wrong thing and especially, you know, being professional. And, and then for me, it's also emotionally overwhelming because I'm on the spectrum myself and I can relate to maybe a lot of the things that they're writing to me with. And so I have to deal with my own emotional response to that in addition. So it, that, yeah, that, that is the most challenging group of folks to, to, to communicate with of, of all the audiences that I speak to. Um, so, because I feel that I owe them the most of, of anybody. Amy is a vulnerable, sexual, loving, empathetic woman. Words that might not be immediately associated with someone who has autism. 
Her work and willingness to be there for others debunks so many stereotypes of autistic people that are out there. One of the things that exists is that autistic people have difficulty displaying empathy. Well, most of the displays of a lack of empathy that I've seen in my life have been from non-autistic people toward autistic people, rather than the other way around. And in fact, I think people on the spectrum have a huge amount of empathy. Uh, it's just that we feel everything so much that we can't filter it out. So, so we wound up shutting down to try to deal with the overwhelming amount of information that's coming in. But because of that stereotype, it's thought that people on the spectrum cannot love. I'm full of love. I have so much love to give. I just have not found somebody who's worthy of that love um, and who des deserves me. Amy, we're out of time. Those were all my questions. Where can people find you? Uh, so people can find me on my website, uh, amygravino.com. I'm also on Twitter, uh, at Amy Gravino, on Instagram, uh, amy.gravino. And I have a Facebook fan page, uh, Amy Gravino fan page, uh, which that's what you type in it. But if you just type Amy Gravino, it'll start to come up. Uh, Amy Gravino, autism, sexuality, advocate, blah, blah, blah. So that's where I'm at. Thank you so much for talking with me today, Amy. I really, I loved this conversation. Thank you, Natalie. Thank you for having me. It was great. And that was our show. This episode was produced by me, Natalie Rivera. I'm also the host and creator. Ben Gillis is our audio engineer. Cheyenne Lopez did copy and fact check. Music is by Miguel Gutierrez. Find more of his music online under his artist name, Mag, M-A-G-H, Mag. Chelsea Cuoca is our vocal coach. Our marketing team includes Gabriela Sanchez and Alyssa Medina. Our sponsorship manager is Muna Kulubali. Make sure to check out our sponsor, Fembot Magazine. We're also on Instagram and Twitter as How I Fuck Podcast. That's How I Fuck without the U, so F-C-K. We also have a website, HowIFuckPodcast.com. Again, without the U, where you can find all of our latest episodes, our show notes, photos, just more information about us. And it's also a place where you can reach out to us too. If you have any thoughts, pitches, feedback, we, we'd love to hear them. And if you like this podcast, please subscribe to it rate it, tell a friend about it, review it. Reviews help us a lot, so just just throwing that out there, that, that that would be great, you know? Just share share our content. We think it's important, and if you've come this far in this episode, then you probably do think it's important, so just putting that out there. Anyways, thank you again, and stay tuned for another episode.